Kia ora and ni hao. I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail, is New Zealand in danger of poking the dragon just when we need to re-establish our links with our biggest trading partner in a post-pandemic world? It's all about walking a tightrope and New Zealand is becoming a bit of a more skilled acrobat. China is New Zealand's biggest trading partner, taking 28% of our exports worth nearly $19 billion. We're not top of mind for a lot of categories. This week, hundreds of people gathered for the China Business Summit in Auckland to hear about changes in the multi-billion dollar market. They did so against a backdrop of our country starting to push back against China's international agenda. Most recently, its moves in Hong Kong. New Zealand government takes a stance where, as representatives of the New Zealand people, we think that the public has a direct and a resounding interest in the outcome. As you know, this has come to the fore recently around developments like Hong Kong's new security law, the situation of the Uyghur people in the Xinjiang province, and Taiwan's participation in the World Health Organization. This is important to who we are as New Zealanders. But ultimately, issues between New Zealand and other countries are normal and should not curtail or define our bilateral relationships, to which we remain absolutely committed. And that sparked a shot across the bow from Ambassador Wu. China and New Zealand should continue to maintain strategic commitment in difficult times and support each other on issues concerning sovereignty and territorial integrity. China has always followed the principle of non-interference in others' internal affairs. At the same time, China stands ready to safeguard its core and major interests. Issues related to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Xinjiang, and Tibet will touch on China's sovereignty and security. Have we become too reliant on the Chinese, especially when there's a slippery slope of retaliation politics? And can we actually maintain our morals and our trade partnerships? Because business relationships with China are never purely just about business. And COVID-19 has only poured fuel on the fire. Pro-Taiwan Japanese politician Aso Taro blasted the World Health Organization for bowing to China and excluding Taiwan. Even in an epidemic, asserting Taiwan claims seems to still be at the top of China's priorities. China has stepped up its diplomatic assault on Australia over our demands for an investigation into how COVID-19 started. The tourists, they may have a second thought. Maybe parents of the students but also think whether it is the best place to send their kids here. Maybe the ordinary people will see why should we drink Australian wine or eat the Australian beef. Until now, if countries wanted to kind of swerve and dodge and, um, you know, be a bit more ambiguous, they could be. But with COVID, the stakes are so high. You know, it's, it's unavoidable when, when these um, big things come up. Uh, you know, talking recently about the calls for, you know, Taiwan to be an observer at the WHO or, you know, this independent investigation talks about how this originated. That's Laura Walters, a senior political reporter who's been covering simmering tensions with China for newsroom.co.nz. She says New Zealand has remained relatively unscathed by political trade attacks from China for now. New Zealand is getting better at dealing with China and is getting better at 
kind of understanding when, I guess, when is the right time to, to say something, when is the right time to to raise issues behind closed doors, when is the right time to do it publicly. China is, is very sensitive and is quite likely to retaliate. Um, thus far, New Zealand's actually done a really good job at avoiding any kind of major retaliation, you know, from like what we've seen in Australia. So there have been tense moments and, and that is to be expected. But I think New Zealand is, is getting better at, at handling China and handling this this new China under Xi Jinping. You know, it's it's a stronger and, and more assertive and more aggressive China. And we know that they do have a big bark and that they, they also will follow that up with a, a big bite. But um, sometimes, you know, that, that bark is worse than that bite. Um, and so you can't hold back too much because you're you're afraid you know you the, in a country that's sensitive to every perceived slight um which in china is called you know referred to as, as having a heart of glass we know that china has that it doesn't mean that you can avoid a tough conversation on every subject it's interesting that you say china's um bark can be worse than its bite do you think that there is a formula to this to uh, in a way, just looking at different situations and knowing, oh, well, this one, they probably won't retaliate and that one, they probably will. I think New Zealand watches very closely how China reacts to comments and actions from other countries as well. You know, these some of these issues that uh, New Zealand is raising, of course, we're not the only country that is raising these issues. Also, the Chinese government does follow a formula, you know, you can look at history, you can look at their policies, they will stick to that quite clearly. You know, um, for example, if we're talking about issues with Taiwan or Hong Kong, you know, they'll, they will come out with the same statement if people raise that. They'll say, you know, that you've got to respect the one China policy, that you've got to stay out of Chinese um, internal domestic affairs. You've recently looked into a story about uh, China's post-COVID buying spree um, of overseas companies. What's going on there and, and why is that worrying? Yeah, so China is very good at not letting a good crisis go to waste. And this is another example of that. So... This was, this was going on, of course, before COVID, but now there's a real opportunity there for Chinese companies and often state-backed companies or companies with links to the Chinese government um, to look at overseas assets and overseas companies that are struggling and you know, buy them up at a reduced price while people are saying, well, we need investment or we're going to fold, basically, in the, mm. in the current economic climate. The problem there is that these Chinese companies are often looking at these very important um, strategic assets. So these might be, you know, very small, very new, very cutting-edge technology companies that that do need uh, a boost in investment. But what would happen there is that China would then have access to that IP. And in some cases, that technology or that IP is an incredibly important strategic or sensitive asset for the country that it's in, for example, New Zealand. 
So the New Zealand government is worried about losing these these sensitive or strategic assets, um, things that might be like dual use technology that will have a um, a commercial use, but also a military or defence use, or like I was saying, um, things like tech and IP media companies, you know, that are really important for democracy and freedom. Like many countries around the world, many of our kind of Five Eyes countries and other other Western countries, New Zealand's um, enacted new legislation under urgency, where it has, where the government has the ability to have more oversight um, and also to step in and block those types of sales or um, those buyouts of those companies. And, of course, New Zealand doesn't name China in this legislation, mm-hmm. but it is it is referring to China. It is looking to China. We understand that Chinese companies have the funds to do this and they have the form for it. You know, we've seen them going after other technology companies in other countries wanting to buy out. You know, there was the case of a, a state-linked company trying to buy out Grindr, um, the, the gay dating app, um, which was blocked by the US government on using the, the same type of provision in their law. And they said, well, no, it, if they buy that app, then they have access to, to personal um, data of people. They have access to people's HIV status, so very um, personal and private health information. Quite scary. Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea there is that if this company is seen to be sensitive or strategically important, that now we have a mechanism to stop that IP falling into the hands of another country's government. This legislation was passed through when everyone else was kind of focused on everything else. This really flew under the radar, I feel. What did the Associate Finance Minister, David Parker, talk about? Did You know, you mentioned how the government tiptoed around mentioning China. Did he give any indication to that as being the reason at all? No, he, he specifically avoided that, and I asked him that question directly. And, of course, you don't write legislation to push back against a single country. You know, it's China at the moment, but who knows, in a few years' time, it could be Russia or it could be someone else. Um, and when I specifically asked him if this was in response to to China's actions, to, you know, their what they were doing in terms of buying companies in other countries, he he said, no, this, this isn't about any single country. And he just specifically said, this is out, about protecting our strategic, nationally important assets at a time when they are vulnerable post-COVID. Um, and it's about keeping all of that, those those important companies and that important IP in New Zealand. So he he was not going to say the word China. You know, he, he kind of went back to what was happening a couple of years ago where the government was treating China as though it was Voldemort or something, you know. <laughs> can't can't say can't say the word, can't say the name. Um, and again you understand that it's it's walking it's walking that tightrope. We all know that this law is about China at the moment. But he doesn't need to say that and he doesn't need to, um, you know, say that publicly because that's the kind of thing that will, you know, bring about a a response from China. Moving on, particularly in a post-COVID-19 world, how do we maintain our own moral stance without endangering our relationship with them? 
And so that's the billion dollar question, right? And and this is something that New Zealand's government has been dealing with for a few years now. You know, under this emboldened Chinese Communist Party, that's kind of doing what they want and it it doesn't really matter how much um, other countries are pushing back. You know, you're talking about human rights and things like that. I mean, New Zealand is a a country that talks about freedom and human rights and democracy needs to stand up against that. Mm. It's all about walking a tightrope and New Zealand is becoming a bit of a more skilled acrobat, I would say, but there's only so long that you can kind of avoid being really direct and I think that we are seeing that at the moment with COVID you know sometimes you just have to to say what you mean and and put your stake in the ground but in the long term what New Zealand needs to do is diversify its trade away and that's exactly what it's working on at the moment. Until that diversity kicks in though Kiwi business people who trade with China are walking that tightrope Laura talked about. And it's not just political minefields they're stepping through, but big changes in the way Chinese consumers are looking at the world. Mark Tanner is normally based in Shanghai. I slipped out about a week before it all all took off. It was Chinese New Year, which I was planning to come home anyway. And then uh, I haven't been back since. And it's hard to know when he will be back because of the pandemic. Mark is the founder and managing director of China Skinny which, no, is not the mobile company. China Skinny works mainly with Western brands that are trying to break into or grow in the Chinese market. It also analyses trends and researches what Chinese consumers want. Mark's client base ranges from smaller businesses to big guns like IKEA and Colgate. We've worked with over 200 companies or 200 brands. Um, everything across about 26 categories, everything from auto through to uh, female hygiene products to fertility clinics in Oregon. You've got uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of of pretty affluent consumers and and a lot of them don't have, um, well, until recently, haven't had a lot of the products that we take for granted. Um, So I guess everyone's trying to tap into to the potential demand and, and just the rising affluence of, of the Chinese middle class. New Zealand has wasted no time tapping into those middle class buyers. Since 2017, China has been our top trading partner. A third of our dairy, 40% of our meat and 60% of our forestry all go to China, bringing in billions of dollars for us. So what happened when COVID-19 hit? Well, Mark Tanner has been following consumer trends closely. It was pretty clear that food was going to be one of the least impacted categories, um, particularly New Zealand food, which is perceived as healthy and clean. So this combination of consumers really went into that survival mode initially, much like it has happened across the world. But in, in China, they, they didn't get any warning of this happening. And all of a sudden, it was the lockdown and, and people were buying the staples, the rice, the UHT milk, the uh, instant noodles. And then when they realised things were a little bit better on, they started spoiling themselves a little more and and eating more normal food. Um, But with that real focus on making sure that food is healthy. Yeah, I love that they went to the instant noodles first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's the same. It's funny, I was talking to some guys that had been in Christchurch just after the quakes, and a lot of the behaviour... Uh, that, that China was happening in China was also happening in Christchurch just after the quake when people were 
literally in that, that survival mode, that war zone type mentality and what they're buying. It is quite interesting that, you know, in a way, New Zealand's reputation for being um, we have healthy food, it's all organic, that kind of thing, really made it stand out from the other products that were available? Um, I Definitely, I wouldn't say we have the monopoly on on healthy food, but we still have to work quite hard for it. And there's um, there's a lot of other places of origin that are considered healthy and clean as well. And dairy, we, we've got a remarkable reputation, but outside of dairy, we still we're not top of mind for a lot of categories. But it's it's also Chinese brands are are on the rise, and and that's something that's accelerated with COVID. Um, that people are getting more patriotic and more national, just as as uh, we're doing the, the Buy Local campaigns in New Zealand, there's that either officially or unofficially happening in China as well. And then when you've got things like imported salmon that they seem to think was the source of the virus. They're throwing away food in Beijing's largest market, a purge triggered by a new outbreak of coronavirus in the Chinese capital. Since last Friday, authorities say they've detected scores of new locally transmitted cases. No potential source is being overlooked. Now, even salmon has come under scrutiny after traces of the virus were found on a chopping board used for fish at the Sinfati market. There is already a bit of a blowback with Chinese consumers who are saying they don't want to eat any of this stuff. There have been you know, questions about how what this means for trade going back and forth. They're a little bit worried about all imported food now could be potentially contaminated. Um, they're seeing all these all these countries imploding with COVID overseas, so so they want to play it safe and just buy more domestic products in many cases. Does the fact that New Zealand has very little COVID cases reassure them, or are they still quite, we're just going to keep it local? We recently did a survey around um, has the way that New Zealand's contained the virus really changed their impression and made them want to buy more or less products. And it seemed like a lot of consumers weren't overly aware of it. Obviously, New Zealand's one of many, many countries exporting to China, and they do do a lot of research, and they do often have pretty good knowledge of where they're getting their products from. But at the same time, there's a lot of media and a lot of social media that's talking about how the rest of the world's not handling it as well as China is. So overall, Chinese are thinking, well, China's the safest place to buy food from in many regards, but obviously there's still those fundamental issues around pollution and, and supply chain safety, et cetera. But there wasn't a big a big jump in our research that, that really did set New Zealand apart from other countries, although we already have a, a slightly higher benchmark anyway. Okay, so then what are people in China wanting? We have our dairy and food products that traditionally do well. Are there any other markets that have opened up where there is a space for New Zealand businesses to enter into? We're seeing things like consumers are spending more time at home now. Um, They were forced to during the lockdown, but as things have opened up and and things are returning back to normalcy in most parts of China, you still are getting consumers that quite liked being at home and, and, and they learnt to cook or got better at cooking during the lockdown. And as a result, they've maintained that, that preference for um, not wanting to go out to restaurants, not wanting food delivered from a, both a safety perspective. They're still a little bit nervous about going to public spaces. 
but also from a from a health and and they don't, they don't know where where who's been touching the food on the way. But also they are actually quite enjoying cooking, so they're investing. And, and you're seeing even there was a big uh, e-commerce festival on last month, the 618 festival, and, and the top selling products were grocery foods, which shows people are still buying food to consume at home. Mm, right. And the and the third fastest growing was um, kitchen appliances. So people are actually investing now in their kitchen and, uh, and enabling them to make more food and, and better food. So as a result, I think a lot of New Zealand companies could probably make sure that their formats are appropriate for people that are cooking at home and educating around um, recipes and, and how they could better prepare food and, and, and obviously making sure it's relevant to Chinese consumers. A lot of consumers still don't have ovens in their kitchen, um, so you may want to make sure they can cook with what appliances they have. Knowing what your market wants is one thing. Building working relationships is another. With the Chinese, it's all about relationships, or as they call it, guanxi. While the absence of international travel is a spanner in the works, Mark Tanner says technology is filling in that gap for now. The real concern around COVID is around imported cases, um, much like it is in New Zealand. They're worried that any, any foreigner coming in will, will infect them. So there's an expectation that, that you don't need to meet face-to-face as a small um, exporter from, from another country. So there's, you look at the infrastructure, it's, it's really increased around video conferencing and workplace apps. In the last year, I think it grew 200 and almost 250% the number of people using those workplace productivity tools. You know, there's 435 million of them. So most guides that you will be dealing with um, will be available over those um, video conferencing. Obviously, it's definitely not the same. You're not sitting around having a few yarns and having a drink, and I'm sure everyone that's been on video calling lately, and there's a lot of people, um, find them kind of awkward and and you miss a lot of the nuances, particularly in a culture like China where it's already quite different. But for the time being, it's it's okay. And there's also, if you look at a lot of New Zealand's more established exporters and even some of the medium-sized companies um, already have guys on the ground in, in China, whether it be distributors or, or representatives that are out there uh, and can build that, that quality, those relationships. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ on Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Mark Tanner and Newsroom's Laura Walters. Matewa. Wa.